September is National Suicide Awareness Month, and some of our biggest helpers are hurting. Over 22 service members take their own lives a day. And according to the Department of Veteran Affairs, veterans are twice as likely as civilians to die at their own hands. Why is this? And more important, what's being done to stop it? During the month of September, the Your Oxygen Mask First podcast is honored to be showcasing some of the dedicated men and women who are fighting to keep veterans alive. We'll be telling their stories of struggle and heartbreak, but also stories of healing and resilience. We can't help anyone if we're not talking about the problem. By opening a dialogue and having authentic conversations surrounding the challenges and stigma, solutions and resources appear. As a civilian, I can never really truly know the horrors and inner demons these brave men and women face. But by listening to their powerful stories, I now have an understanding, a glimpse of their challenges, and have already applied some of this knowledge to my professional life. The Conversations Around Veteran Suicide series aims to educate and provide resources for both military and civilian alike in hopes to end the stigma and this devastating cycle. I hope you enjoy it as much as I enjoyed recording it with my new friends. If you or someone you know may be thinking of suicide, please contact the Veterans Crisis Call Line at 1-800-273-8255 and press 1. You can text 838255. Just remember, you are not alone. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm very honored to have two very special people with us today as we continue our deep dive series on suicide prevention for veterans. Today, we're talking to Joyce Bruggerman, the executive director of Survivors of Suicide Loss, and Floyd Strayer, who served 21 years active duty in the United States Marine Corps and is a military subcommittee chair. Both have lost loved ones to suicide. Floyd has been working to spread the message of suicide prevention to the military And Joyce's mission is to educate the public in dealing with trauma that the survivors face and also so that that cycle does not continue. Thank you both for being with me. I appreciate it. Thanks for having us. So Joyce, we're going to start off with you. Tell us briefly about yourself. All right. Well, I never thought I would be where I am today being in this situation. As you said, I lost my husband about 10 years ago to suicide. And what's interesting about his story is that he lost his father to suicide and it was never allowed to be dealt with. So I met him many years afterwards and by all accounts, he appeared to have gotten past that. I knew about it and I didn't expect it to come back up. So we got married. We had two beautiful children. We're having a good life. And um, his, my father actually died suddenly after heart bypass surgery and that opened up this deep wound inside of my husband and so that began our descent into depression and eventually leading to suicide so at the time he died i was actually working at a local university which i loved and after his death it just wasn't fulfilling anymore and i knew i wanted to get out and start working in the mental health advocacy field just trying to see if we could make a difference so that other people would not be living in this same kind of aftermath. So I spent a great deal of time getting training. I became a certified mental health counselor. I trained myself in trauma. I had the privilege of planting some faith-based support groups for people who are struggling with mental illness and their families. 
And then about three years ago, the leadership at SOSL approached me and asked me if I would consider becoming the executive director. So this isn't where I planned on being, certainly being trained for it. And a little girl wakes up and wants to be an expert in suicide. But this is where I find myself today. Well, that, Joyce, I can't imagine what you've gone through. And I'm so sorry for your losses, but I'm Thank glad you. that you're here and you're able to talk about it and you're able to educate people and and at least be able to be a light for the people that are suffering. And Floyd, why don't you tell us about yourself as well? Okay, as long as the questions get easier from here. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, as you said, I am a 21-year veteran, but I'm also, the last 19 years, I've been a civilian working for the Navy side-by-side side with the military, which has sent me into Iraq three times, Afghanistan once, uh, during which time we did see incoming fire. And I experienced things with my fellow Marines that you don't always or can't explain to a civilian or to your, even to your brother. And I'll talk more about that later, I think, uh, because that creates a bond that I have with the military that it is a brotherhood and a sisterhood. And to see, have a loss uh, like I had just in November opened up old wounds when a coworker took his life in November of 17. So those, that's my drive or my passion with bringing services of survivors of suicide loss to that unique culture that service in our military creates. And Joyce, why don't we talk about survivors of suicide loss, what the organization is and what it does for survivors. All right. Thank you for letting us share about that. So what we are is we're an organization and we provide post-vention services for people who've lost someone to suicide. So often people think, well, after the suicide has happened, then there's not any suicide prevention work that you can do. The reality is that we know that when someone dies by suicide, there are at least six to ten people who are deeply impacted by that suicide. And research is really clear that they don't get effective postvention services, then they can carry a higher risk of drug and alcohol, mental health issues, and a higher risk of suicide themselves. So our organization provides the foundation or the backbone of SOSLs. We provide support groups where people can come and they can talk freely about something that they can't talk about anywhere else because people are afraid to talk about suicide. People don't know what to say. They don't know how to comfort people. So we say you can walk into this room and this is the one place you can talk about absolutely anything and no one's going to judge you and you're going to get an opportunity to process the, the tragedy and the trauma because you have been traumatized. So that's the backbone of our services. We also have a website. We have a warm line. We have a newsletter that we send out quarterly. We have resources. We have all kinds of stories. We believe in the power of the story, that, that communication, that, that telling them your story and how you are able to move through this recovery process. Somebody else can listen to that and grab onto something and be able to follow that example when they feel like, I don't have any idea where to get started. That's very, very powerful to have that community and that connection. Mm -hmm. I come from a place of, we have victim impact panels for DUI. Why don't we have victim impact panels or education 
why don't we send people out who've been impacted by suicide to go out to talk about what it's like to be impacted by it. And it's not just the person who is gone now. It's everything that they leave behind and that mark that they leave on people. Well, we actually, I forgot to tell you, we have a speaker's bureau. Employees part of that speaker's bureau. Um, in oh, yeah. 2015, when I started, we did 35 uh, presentations a year. We are on target to do over 100. I, because I believe in training survivors to go out and tell their story because exactly what you said. People will open up emotionally when they hear our story and it makes them more open to hearing about suicide. And more often than not, what happens after you give a talk about your story is someone comes up and finally they have the courage to share that it's happened to them too. So it is just a matter of just really taking those opportunities and those opportunities are coming more often. And we just like you're doing this, this is a tremendous opportunity for someone who has lost someone to suicide to hear this conversation and just realize I can talk about it. I can find a safe place to go talk about it. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm so glad that you guys are there. Are there other places like your organization that are in different areas of the country or is it just you guys in San Diego? We are just in San Diego. There are some other areas of the country that have some uh, organizations. I don't know if they have, I don't know if there's any that has an organization that is organized like ours. In other words, we care, we cover a whole county and um, our services are provided throughout the whole county, including our suicide prevention and awareness training presentations. So that's a little bit unique, but if someone is in need of a survivor of suicide loss group, they can Google them and they may find a group in their area. It's not, they're not as prevalent as I think they should be because I think, again, they're such an important piece to the suicide prevention puzzle. Mm -hmm. Now, Floyd, can you talk to us a little bit about how the organization Survivors of Suicide has helped you spread your message and and are you working with other organizations or well, or just this one at the time? I, I am working with others, but how they helped me was I actually was working. What I didn't tell you earlier was I lost my brother in 99 and I lost a niece in 2006. And when I started doing Toastmasters, well, I, my speeches started bringing up the topic of my brother a lot. And it was Almost as if I, I had this story I had to tell. I had to put the message out there so that others would know that there's other suffering, you know, and they can talk about it. And I w actually went to and met Joyce looking for an opportunity to join a Speakers Bureau to actually do some positive work with that message. And uh, that led into... <laughs> several other things we're working on with Joyce, but it's been it's been a blessing to me because it's been a, a an outlet for me to for my healing and giving back and, and serving others in this in this realm. And one of the other organizations I am working with right now is uh, the Veteran Crisis Outreach with uh, Will and and Sarah and trying to find that plug up those holes, you know, and, and getting services out to people and helping other organizations know what our organization offers so that, you know, there's that connection. You don't have to do everything yourself as an organization. 
if you know what other organizations already exist and offer those services, we can get the vet to the right services. And what everybody is doing, Will and Sarah, with the Veterans Crisis Outreach and what Joyce, you and Floyd are doing with survivors of suicide and reaching out and talk to, talking to people is amazing because Joyce, like we talked about earlier, I think we both really believe that maybe one of the answers, solutions, or healing part of suicide is actually connecting with others and talking to other people about it. And I had actually spoken to a, a Georgia police officer widow in a previous podcast, and she had said that if her husband could have reached out to one of his colleagues and felt comfortable talking to them about the struggles that he had faced as being a police officer, because he had gotten into some really, really crazy, crazy investigative stuff that he would still be alive today. I, I believe that. I think, you know, the power of the secret to destroy us from the inside out is, is unbelievable. And so to be able to find those safe places, and I think that's part of having that conversation. We know that you just can't go out and talk to anybody. So finding those safe places where you can be vulnerable, creating those systems where people can have a, a, a level of comfort in sharing what they need to share and know that it's not going to be used against them and know that it's going to be a positive outcome and people are going to get connected with resources. So I think being able to talk is key. Again, I told you about my late husband. He was 16 when his dad took his life. And you did not talk about it. You did not talk about it. He did not even talk about it within his family. And so that trauma got buried deep inside of him. It didn't get better. It grew and it festered. So we know that if we don't have that opportunity to talk about it, work through the trauma, because people also forget suicide is traumatizing. And we're doing so much more research and we've come to such a greater understanding of the devastating impact that trauma has on the body, mind, and spirit. And if you are experiencing a trauma and you aren't getting an opportunity to, to recover, to work through it, it's doing damage to you. So suicide is a trauma. It's a traumatic kind of grief. And not addressing it never brings about a good outcome. So kind of dovetailing off of that, Joyce, is there anything else you want to add or go into about the things or thing that you wish everyone understood about suicide? The thing I wish that everybody um, understood about suicide is it's just an incredibly complex conversation. You know, there's not any one reason why someone gets to that breaking point, to that point of ending their life. And they didn't get there overnight. So. My dream is that we really begin to value our mental health so much that we're really focusing on having good mental health across our lifespan. So I always challenge people, why are people living better with cancer? Why are they surviving more and more? Well, part of the reason is because we've developed early diagnostic tools. So we're catching the cancers at the beginning stages. You know, you can catch cancer now, I guess, at stage zero. Well, the outcomes for people who are caught at stage zero and stage one are so much better than stage four. What we've done with mental health and what we've done with suicide is we really don't even start addressing it until it reaches stage four, which is the suicidal. 
crises, right? And especially within the veteran population, maybe that's even more so. So our outcomes are not going to be as good if we're waiting to catch it at the stage four. How much better would it be if we had this awareness about mental health? And the minute that somebody began demonstrating any sort of mental health difficulty, if they knew that it was safe, if they could understand that there's a biological component to what's going on that's affecting their mental state, that they could have that freedom to reach out and get help before it reaches that crisis point. So I think we just need to start doing it one person at a time, one step at a time, and continuing not to be afraid to have the conversation. And what about you, Floyd? Do you have anything to add to uh, this makes me want to shake people sometimes. Uh, you know, it's <laughs> suicide's not a four-letter word. And until we as a society can talk openly about suicide prevention, as we do for a cure for cancer or some other disease, mm-hmm. you know, the, the stigma surrounding it just suffocates and stifles the progress needed to, to find these solutions. You know, and there's just so many misperceptions and erroneous beliefs about suicide uh, you'll hear people and i still today hear people you know they believe that if someone who is intent on killing themselves eventually will do it and there's little anybody can do it's absolutely untrue you know and that, and that goes back to what joyce was just saying about catching you know at the early stages Research shows that 90% of the people who survive an attempt don't go on to die by suicide. Hmm. So, you know, this overcoming this cultural adversity is a huge challenge that we have in front of us that, you know, as a culture or society, we aren't trained in suicide prevention. We're taught that if we, you know, cut ourselves, we put a Band-Aid on it or go get it stitched up. But nobody taught me about suicide prevention. But we can get that training today. We now have those classes available right here in San Diego for suicide prevention. Probably the easiest one to get that will provide a ton of information is just is QPR. You know, question, persuade, and refer. It's, it's, it's re- relatively, what, an hour, Joyce? Uh, it's about an hour and a half training. Yeah. yeah. An hour and a half out of your day to learn some valuable tools so that when you see it, you know how to respond. I get kind of frustrated on that one. So, <laughs> so yeah. And those, class, those classes are for anybody who wants to, to learn? They're available through uh, in San Diego through an organization called Community Health Improvement Partners. And so any business, as long as you can, or any community group, as long as you can organize 10 people, they will find a trainer and they're free. And they'll come out and they'll give a training. That would be awesome. I wish we had that nationwide because you know that I would say, and this is just my rough guess, it's not a total authentic number, but probably 70 to 80% of 911 dispatch centers don't have the training to deal with someone who is in a crisis. Yeah. And we are like the last person that they call when they need help. Absolutely. Every first, you know, every police, firemen, any first responder of any sort should have suicide prevention training. Just because I'm personally fascinated and curious about this, 
Is there any tips or tricks, either one of you, on how to how to have that conversation with someone who may be suicidal or someone who's looking for help and has reached out and contacted someone? Do you have any advice for how we can get them help? Well, I'll start. I think the biggest hurdle there is people are afraid to say the word or talk to someone. They're afraid of pushing them over the edge, you know, when in fact the opposite is true. You know, someone who is suicidal, if someone is responding to them, they, they realize someone does care. You know, someone is willing to listen to them. You can't be judgmental when you sit down with them. You want, you know, that's the thing. You need to be open and just, you know, let them talk more or less. You can't tell them what to do. But they're looking for someone that really cares that they're on this earth. And if you are so afraid of, of talking about that you don't open up to it, that they feel they're right. They think they are alone. But you yeah, like I said, it perfectly. The first thing is don't be afraid to ask the question. If you don't have that conversation, you're never going to know. I work with a lot of families who have loved ones who struggle with mental illness. And I will ask them, have you talked to them? Are they thinking about suicide? Well, that's their greatest fear. But if you don't ask the question, you don't have the information. Here in San Diego, we have a great website called uptosd.org. And you can go and it can it gives you the warning signs of suicide. So everybody should be trained on what are the warning signs of suicide so that you can make an intelligent decision and have a conversation. Because if you talk to somebody and you realize that they are thinking about suicide, then you have to determine, is this an immediate crisis or have they started thinking about suicide? Because your action plan is very different. So if someone has just started having suicidal ideation, we want to encourage them to get plugged into professional help. That's kind of at that stage one or stage two, right? Instead of the crisis versus identifying, are they in a crisis mode? And if they're in that crisis mode, you probably are going to be the place where somebody's going to call and say, I've got somebody here. They're a danger to themselves. I need to get some police out here immediately. So the best thing is to talk and to try to, in any way that you can, see if you can find any thread of hope for them. Because the common denominator for suicide is when people have lost all hope. So if they can recognize that there is something within them that still they are hopeful about, they will choose to stay alive, at least in that moment. Maybe not the next day or the next day, but what you're trying to do is keep them alive in the moment and helping them find that place of hope is how you're going to do that. It's It gets very complicated because for every person, the resources would be so incredibly different. So what we train in QPR is think about it as CPR for a mental health crisis. So when you're trained in CPR, the purpose is to do what? To keep someone alive, keep alive. until professional help arrives, right? So the same thing is for mm -hmm. the QPR. If you're talking to somebody who's in a suicidal crisis, your job is not to diagnose them. It's not to try to analyze them. It's to try to keep them alive until you can get them handed off to the help that they need. A lot of times people don't know what that help is that they need. So that's where it gets tricky. And that's why if you have someone who lives with a mental health issue, 
it behooves you to educate yourself about what they're struggling with so that you can be the best support that you possibly can for them. And like you said, it's different for every person. Absolutely. I mean, it's suicide is such a complex, such a complex, complex thing. There's not just one thing that is taking someone to that point of being hopeless. For 90%, we do know there's usually an underlying mental health issue. But then there have been other things that have come in to create that that place of them feeling like they're just hopeless. We we'll try to break that chain somewhere along the way. Absolutely. So Floyd, we're going to switch to you for a second. And because our series is on military and veterans and trying to prevent the cycle of veteran suicide, I was told by William over 22 veterans commit suicide every day. So how do we prevent more veterans from getting to the breaking point of suicide in your opinion? First, we got to stop telling everyone they're invincible. You know, from, from day one in boot camp, you know, we, we build the, this soldier or, or sailor or Marine into this, okay, you know, you can do anything. You don't need this outside support. You know, you can do it yourself type of thing to where, and, and you don't want to show any weakness. Well, talking about mental illness, you know, is a sign of weakness is the way we see it as a culture. And you know, we, we believe we can take care of depression ourselves. It's not always true. You know, if you are truly in a depression that needs medication, there's, there's not a thing you can do for yourself until you get that medical attention. You know, we, we know that loved ones or the, those ones closest to the loss are impacted hard. You know, we, we accept that. And, but yet, when we serve side by side in these austere elements out in combat, and then we have those same bonds as that brotherhood is real. And when we see that loss or suffer that loss to one of one of those to suicide, we don't, we're going through those same emotions, whether they want to admit it or not, but yet we're not treating it that way. We're not, Treating it, we're not going to those units and saying, you know, we need to talk about this. Instead, it's quite the opposite. It's it's hush, you know. They'll put out, well, if you need services, you know, behavioral health is over at this building and that type of thing. And it's we're not treating it the way we really know it should be treated because we know the impacts but we're not admitting it and going in and treating it that way. And I don't know where in the command level it's going to take to actually make that change. I think it's probably really going to be generations, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like the ultimate don't ask, don't tell. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Joyce? Do you have any thoughts or opinions about military? I think it's so complex. I think it's break it down to the most basic thing. I'm grateful for people like William and Floyd who are having these conversations. The the impact that they are going to have on the people that they interact with, I, I, I'm not sure they're ever going to know that. And I think it's them having the courage to start having these conversations and letting other people know that it's okay to have these conversations 
that's going to start breaking through some of that stigma that Floyd is talking about. When I see a, a problem that's extremely complex, and when you're talking about veterans and suicide, there's a lot of complexity that goes into that because of the trauma, perhaps, of what they've experienced as being a part of the military, their military training, and if they've lost people to suicide in that, there's just a lot of things going on. And then the system that they walk out into. So I always try to break things down to the most simple thing. I can't change the big, I can't change the big overall stigma about suicide, but I can do it one person at a time. I can do it one interaction at a time. And I can meet that person in that place and try to break that stigma and that fear and that misinformation about what's going on with that one person. So I think as these brave men and women come forward and start having these conversations more and more, I think that's going to start removing some of the barriers and helping people find that they can reach out for help before they get to that. And we are very grateful for what you do. And what I wish that we could see more of is the people who have survived suicide, the people who have attempted mm -hmm. suicide and made it through mm -hmm. and stayed and are mm -hmm. thriving now. We don't hear a lot of that, especially in mainstream media, social media. We hear about the people who have passed on and are gone because of it. But nobody seems to follow up with the people who went through that dark place, pulled their butts mm -hmm. out of it and had help. But sharing that secret sauce of this is how I made it, this is what worked for me, and you can survive this too and leave a thriving life. We're not hearing about that, and I don't understand why. I think it's just finding yeah. those people, really, to be willing to tell that story. One of the things that happened to me after my husband's death is I partnered up with a gal who actually had a diagnosis of bipolar 2. And she attempted to end her life five times over a 10-year period, was in and out of psych hospitals eventually found a very, very strong recovery through body, mind, and spirit, takes her meds, does her psychological work, integrated with spiritual. She became so healthy, she became the director of counseling at her church. And she would, she spoke and still speaks quite a bit. And exactly what you said, Erin, is what happens. I can watch her speak, and I can see hope just come out in that audience. Like, they look at her and they go, oh my gosh, it's possible. Like, it doesn't always have to be like this. And so I'm 100% behind you. I think that's some of the most powerful things that we can do when people are living well after a suicide attempt and living well with a mental health diagnosis. It's really important for people mm -hmm. to be able to share that because people need to see that. Yeah, a positive, a positive on the military side that times... Are, are changing, even though it's slow. I did have the opportunity to speak with an active duty major who is openly speaking about his attempts of suicide and how he has overcome it. And he's talking to military groups as well as, you know, anybody who will listen about it. And it's just, it, it's phenomenal to see the progression that the military has gone to because that person would have never been on active duty, you know, a few years ago, uh, you know, after an attempt, uh, they would have never allowed him to continue on. Here he's still not just on active duty, but a major in the Marine Corps. And that's, that's phenomenal to see that happen. Yes, yes. there's a light, yes. a small light, but I see it. That's awesome. 
So Joyce, we're going to kind of switch gears a little bit and lighten it up just a bit. And let's talk about how we can get more information on your organization. And is there any way to donate or help you guys out at all? Oh, absolutely. No, we're, we're not profit. <laughs> Let me count the way. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, go to our website, suslsd.org. Check out all the things we do. You can donate there. If you're here in San Diego County, I'm going to let Floyd talk in a minute about an event that he started. Um, we also have a walk in November in Balboa Park. We have about a thousand plus people who come out who have been touched by suicide. That's basically our biggest fundraiser that keeps the doors open. What's exciting is this year we are going to be happening on Veterans Day, so we're going to be incorporating some sort of uh, activity to recognize the number of veterans that we are losing to suicide. So we're excited about that. And we're the longest-running walk here in San Diego County. And we're excited to have everybody come out and, and be a part of it. But I'm going to let Floyd talk about a great new event that he came to me at the first time he met me and threw this at me and I kind of blinked, but we said, let's try it and we're going to do it again. So September 15th, we're having a ride for life. It's a motorcycle ride that starts at El Cajon Harley Davidson, goes out for a nice hour, hour and a half ride doing a, a poker run. And coming back to Elko and Harley Davidson, where we will have a band called the Ramshackle, who does a great variety of music. We will have some great refreshments. Uh, Hawaiian, it's going to be the theme of the meal this year. A great uh, vendor has come in and, and really cut the cost on what it's cost us to bring that food in. There'll be uh, uh, some other small games and there's also going to be some opportunities to win some fantastic prizes. We have a package put together with a night stay at the Omni hotel, uh, box seats at the uh, stadium on September 30th to see the Padres. And that includes quite a bit, including what? free alcohol. So <laughs> there's, I'm there's, in, let's go. Yeah. So there's a lot of uh, yeah, there's a lot of neat prizes on the opportunity to to win for uh, through our opportunity drawings during that day. Uh, it's a, it's a great time to get together and just meet with other survivors of suicide loss and you know lift each other up and have a positive day, not a solemn occasion, but still talk about and promote suicide prevention. And Aaron, you know what I love about that event. See what he has introduced this whole topic into a whole population that we haven't been talking to. Right. Motorcycle riders. These are yeah. these are your veterans, right? There's a lot of veterans yeah. who are riding motorcycles. So it was wonderful. I still remember the very first one. I don't know how I <laughs> let him talk me into doing this. This was way out <laughs> of my wheelhouse. And it was hard to put that first one on. I remember standing at registration and this man walked up and he could have been straight out of typecasting for a motorcycle game person, right? He stands there, he's six foot three, he's got the bandana, he's got the chains hanging, the leathers, the goatee, the whole thing. And he walks up and he says, are you Joyce? And I said, yes, I am. He said, I just want to thank you for doing this. He said, I've lost three people to suicide and today is the first day I talked about it. And that just went like, went, okay, it was worth every yeah. ounce of sweat that we put into it. So I yeah. just love that event because we are having those conversations in places that we weren't having them before. 
and every conversation holds the hope. Oh, that change. sounds amazing. Joyce, did they get you on a bike though? Because I want to see that. No. <laughs> no. no. Maybe that this year? But oh, okay. probably not. But that's okay. I'll still have a lot of fun. It it I I that is my favorite event that we do. Well that sounds like fun. Maybe I'll fly down and see it. Yeah. You should. It's September fifteenth. Oh, I have to, to check you. my calendar, see if I can come. That would be awesome. Closing this up and wrapping it up, guys, I appreciate you both for being here. Does anybody have any closing thoughts that they want to share? Well, thank you for giving us an opportunity to share what the organization does. It's uh, I've benefited so much from working here, working with them, that uh, I can't even express it in words. And I see the benefit every day of different people that have utilized the services and been able to cope better with what they're going to. I echo Floyd. We're so grateful that you gave us this opportunity, Aaron, to come and talk and just have a conversation from a different point of view about suicide that often people don't think about that the impact that it has on the survivor and how that feeds into this continuing epidemic that we're having. To me, when I started realizing they they actually asked me to become the executive director and, and I'm a very proactive person. So at first I kind of swallowed hard and I sat back and I, but I've been doing all this proactive work in mental health advocacy and doing support groups for families before this happens. And then I sat back and I realized if there had been an SOSL for my husband and his family, I might not be here today. Think about how very different my life might have been had they been able to heal from his father's suicide. Mm -hmm. And so I began to really embrace, this is such important suicide prevention work. I say we're doing suicide prevention work for the next generation. We're going to change families. These legacies do not have to continue going on from one generation to the next. We can put a stop to it by allowing people to heal. There is a Franciscan friar named Richard Rohr, and I found a quote by him that I absolutely love, and it, it continues to guide my life. He said, if you do not find a way to transform your pain, you will most assuredly transmit mm -hmm. it. So when you are left after suicide, there's only one of two choices. Are you going to continue to stay in that pain and in that unhealthy place, in that traumatized place? Are you going to continue to transmit the pain? Or are you going to do everything you can to transform that pain? And in doing so, the way I look at it, I don't do this work for my husband's legacy. I do this work because I want other people to heal and I want them to find that hope. But I think the byproduct is his, it benefits his legacy. His, his legacy will not be one of suicide. It will be one of helping people find hope. Wow. I can't, I don't even have anything to add. I, you guys amaze me with everything that you say. I appreciate you both being so open and vulnerable and having this conversation with us and, and sharing what you guys are doing and the great work that you're doing. And please keep it up because it's so important. We really appreciate it. Thank you. We want to see you on the 15th. Okay. I will do my best. Okay. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Both. Love to see you. Thank you both for, for joining us. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening. Please go to the episode page at youroxygenmaskfirst.com 
to learn more about these amazing organizations that are doing so much good for veterans and their families.